0: This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. God, it is so amazing that you choose to draw near to sinners like us. And in fact, you delight in having us close to you. And all of this is through the person and work of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we come in awe of the gift of your Son for us. And your Spirit gives us faith to step forward with boldness, despite ourselves, despite whatever guilt and shame we might be tempted to feel by the evil one. Nonetheless, because of your word, because of your invitation, your command even to draw close to you, we come to behold your face, to enjoy your presence, to receive afresh the love of our Heavenly Father. And Lord, as we gather here, we ask that this would be a time of experiencing your love in a fresh way. Speak to your children. Feed your waiting sheep. Give us what we need. Lord, as we open up your word together, we pray for a true encounter. You know how easily our minds wander and even worse, our hearts wander from you and we go through these things in a superficial, perfunctory manner. We don't want that to be the case, O oh Lord. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to help us to come to you with true hearts and open faces and open hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Let's open up the Word of God, and we're going to the very end of the Gospel of Luke today, Luke chapter 24. I'm going to share it on my screen with you. Um, Today is actually, or this week, is yet another event in the Christian calendar, but it's one that's a little less familiar, because every year on the first Thursday, after the sixth Sunday after Easter, we celebrate Ascension Day. And we're all very familiar with Christmas, and Good Friday, and Easter Sunday, but Ascension Day is perhaps the most neglected of all the Christian holiday holiday celebrating events in the life of Jesus, and I think we miss out a lot when we fail to remember that Jesus has ascended from earth into heaven. And we're going to read a very short text today from Luke chapter 24, only um, 14 verses in fact, but let's see what God has to say to us through Holy Scripture. So here's my screen. Jumping over to uh, the Gospel of Luke. Luke 24, verses 50 to 53. This is the New International Version. When he, that is Jesus, had led them, his disciples, out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. And those are the very last four verses in the Gospel of Luke. That's how he closes off his 24 chapters with that very short, very spare story of Jesus disappearing from the sight of his disciples. Now, you know, for some Christians, and this was true of myself, I think, in the early days of my walk with the Lord, that for, me, for some Christians, it seems as though the gospel ends at the cross. That Jesus died for my sins, that the wrath of God it has been taken care of, that I'm forgiven, but it ends there. And there are other Christians who go a little further, and for them, the gospel ends at the resurrection, the empty tomb and Jesus rising from the dead. But has Jesus retired? Has Jesus vanished from the scene? What is Jesus doing now? Is he still working on our behalf? And the story of the ascension teaches us that, yes, Jesus is. Jesus is not only alive, he's reigning at the right hand of God, and it strengthens our faith when we meditate on Christ's ongoing work for his people. So, Here we have this very simple story in just four verses. It's a story that Luke will actually tell a second time in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, with some more detail. Um, But here he gives us just enough to sum up and wrap up the 24 chapters of his gospel. This very short story happens 40 days after the resurrection. Jesus rises from the dead on Easter Sunday, and for 40 days, he reveals himself again and again to his disciples and spends time with them. Uh, He does this for probably three reasons. One, to demonstrate clearly with many convincing proofs that he is, in fact, alive, not just a ghost. Secondly, to teach his disciples the things that they just weren't able to handle earlier before the cross. And then thirdly, to commission his disciples to be his apostles who are going to go to the ends of the world to share the gospel. And man, those must have been 40 wonderful days. I wish we had more recorded of uh, what Jesus did and said during that time. And I suppose the 11 could have wished that time could have gone on forever. But now the moment has arrived for Jesus to return to his father. and he leads his disciples two miles outside of Jerusalem Bethany on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives and he stands there and he lifts up his hands to bless them and as Jesus is speaking these words of blessing to his disciples he begins to rise from the side of the mountain Jesus ascends up into the sky up up he goes his hands still lifted in blessing until as uh, Luke tells us in the book of Acts A cloud hides Jesus from their sight, and he's gone. And then the 11 disciples spontaneously begin to worship Jesus. And really, that is an amazing thing for very strict Jewish monotheists to do. They believe there was only one God that was at the heart of the Jewish religion, but at this point, there is no remaining doubt. There is no leftover confusion in their minds about who Christ is or what he deserves. And, now, you know, you think that now that the master has departed, that there would be tears and sadness as he's torn away from them. But there's no sadness in this story because the disciples return to Jerusalem with great joy. And they go to the temple, they camp out there. And they spend their time praising God. And that is the end of Luke's gospel. And that is where the book of Acts will pick up when the day of Pentecost accounts uh, uh, comes. And it's a very short, a very spare account. And, you know, there are other uh, discussions and depictions of the ascension in, in the Bible. We could talk about the book of Acts and how uh, the ascension of Jesus is the precursor to him pouring out the Holy Spirit upon the church. We could go to the book of Revelation where uh, the ascended Lord is the one whose face is burning with the power of the sun, the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords who is reigning over the nations and who is coming again to um, establish universal dominion. But Luke's very short depiction emphasizes this image of Jesus lifting up his hands in blessing over his disciples. And the more I think about this story, the more I find that to be a deeply profound and beautiful and comforting picture of Jesus, the last picture of Jesus we have before he leaves this earth and disappears from our sight. You know, this um, posture of lifting up the hands in blessing has actually quite a rich Old Testament background. And I want to share with you A few verses from the book of Leviticus, chapter nine. Let me just bring these up on my screen here. These uh, couple verses here, Leviticus chapter nine. And let me read these to you. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people." That's Leviticus um, chapter nine. And what we really see in that story is the strong link between blessing and atonement. The benediction, the hands lifted up in blessing come in this uh, process of sacrifice and offering. The people arrive at the tent of meeting and they show up and they are sinful and they're guilty, and that needs to be dealt with before the blessing can happen, and then they leave blessed and favored with the presence of God, and what makes the difference in how they come and how they leave is this ritual slaughter and burning of this animal on their behalf. That's what takes care of their guilt, and that's what changes God's disposition from wrath to favor, and when the high priest emerges, having sacrificed and offered the animal, he lifts up his hands and he assures the gathered people that their sacrifice has been accepted, that their sins are forgiven. And they don't have to worry that God is angry or withdrawn. He's full of favor towards his people. And then his glory appears because God delights to dwell in the presence of a reconciled people. Now, the passage here does not tell us the words that Aaron spoke to the people, but we can read those in Numbers chapter, 20, uh, Numbers chapter six, verses 22 to 26. And let me share that last scripture with you also here from Numbers chapter six. And here is what Aaron was instructed to say to the people. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Aaron wasn't supposed to say whatever popped into his mind or whatever he was feeling. God himself dictated the words that Aaron was to say because God wanted the people to know exactly how he felt towards them now that their sin had been atoned for. And the blessing, the the heart of the blessing that the priest is offering is the very presence of God. It's his face shining upon them in love and grace and favor and peace. And so when the people left, the, the sacrifice and the high priest and the benediction, they could go with not just clean consciences, but a sense that God was their friend, that he loved them, that all was well because God had blessed them. And this is the background, surely, of what Jesus is doing when he is ascending with this priestly benediction he's pronouncing over the people. Now, there's something very interesting going on in the book of Luke, I believe, because the very beginning of the gospel, the very first story in Luke, is also the story of a priest pronouncing a benediction on the people. A priest who tries and fails to pronounce a blessing on the people, and this is the story of Zechariah, which pretty much is what begins this book in uh, chapter one, verse five. Zechariah is the priest; is a priest. He's on rotation. It's part of his duty to offer the sacrifice and then emerge and pronounce the blessing to the waiting people. But he has an encounter with the angel of the Lord inside the temple while he's sacrificing, and the angel reveals he's going to have a son. The son's name is to be John. This is John the Baptist, the one who's going to prepare the way. For the coming messiah but Zechariah doubts the word of the lord and because of his sin he is muted he's unable to speak and when he emerges from the temple to the waiting people he lifts up his hands but nothing comes out of his mouth it's a priest who has an aborted blessing he's unable to pronounce the word of god's favor so here the book begins with a priest of the old order a sinful priest unable to bless the people, and unable to assure them that the sacrifice has been accepted. And at the other end of his book, like a bracket over the gospel of Luke, is the sinless ascending priest lifting up his hands, giving the people the full assurance that God has shown favor to them. The book begins with the failure of the old system of offering the blood of bulls and goats, and it ends with the security of the new covenant through the blood of Jesus, the Son of God. So what is Jesus doing when he ascends? He's saying, I've completed my sacrifice, not of bulls and goats and animals, the sacrifice of my own precious blood. And when Jesus ascends and disappears from the disciples, he goes into the presence of God and presents himself as the perfect, finished, once for all, sacrifice. And as the book of Hebrews describes, Jesus is not like these earlier priests who stood day after day presenting, offering the same sacrifices, which never really could take away sins. Jesus is no longer standing. He goes into the presence of God and sits down at his right hand because his atoning work is done. The cross is a once-for-all event it doesn't need to be repeated because this is not perfect and sufficient and so when we fall in sin as we all do very often we don't have to try to fix the problem ourselves by making some kind of sacrifice or atonement to god what god wants us to do is to turn our eyes in faith to jesus the high priest who is our peace before God. And it's Jesus' presence before God, at the right hand of God, that is the guarantee of this new covenant, this relationship with God that is totally secure. And because Jesus is sitting there guaranteeing our relationship with the Father, we can walk safely under his favor, knowing that God loves us and that we're under his blessing. In his little book on the Ascension, uh, Tim Chester says this, Jesus, our priest and mediator, appears in the presence of God, bearing our names as a memorial to God. He is the sign, the reminder, the pledge, the guarantee that we belong in the presence of God. Let me say that again. Jesus is the sign, the reminder, the pledge, the guarantee that we belong in the presence of God. And he goes on to say that our presence before God is as certain as Christ's presence before God. And our salvation is safe and secure as long as Christ is in heaven. Think about the confidence that Jesus could walk into the throne room of his father and take his seat at the right hand of God. He can come with complete boldness and safety and security, knowing he's going to be not just uh, permitted in, but welcomed in and given the seat of honor. And because we belong to Jesus, we don't have to be peering nervously around the corner, wondering if God is going to be happy to see us. We belong there. We have a right to be in the presence of God, not because of ourselves and what we've done or achieved, but because we belong to Jesus and he's made that place for us. So as Paul says, who therefore is the one who condemns? No one. No one can condemn because Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus is the high priest who no no longer sacrifices, but he intercedes. Jesus brings our case before God. He brings our prayers before God, and he speaks the words that make us and our prayers acceptable to the father. And with every word that we speak, there was a word of Jesus in between, stating that we belong, pointing God again and again to his perfect sacrifice in which his father delights. So when we read the story of Jesus ascending into heaven, it doesn't mean that Jesus' work is done and now he's stepping down from service into some much needed personal retirement In paradise. Jesus is not ascending for his own sake. He's going for you and me. I think it's symbolic that he's not going with his hands clutched tight on what he's keeping for himself. His hands are spread open and they're turned towards us. Because the reward, the inheritance that Jesus has earned for his obedience to God He's releasing that for the enjoyment of all God's children. You know, the hands of Jesus appear in so many memorable stories in Luke's gospel. These are the hands that multiplied the loaves and the fishes. These are the hands that reached out to touch the eyes of the blind, that healed the lepers, that stopped the funeral of the young man outside name. And of course, these hands which are lifted in blessing are the same hands that were nailed to the cross for these disciples and for all of us. And as Jesus spreads his hands out over his disciples, they can look up and see the holes in his wrists where he had been pierced. For even in his resurrected, glorified, exalted body, Jesus still keeps the scars that he received for sinners. Blessing is the result of atonement. And the blessing is free, but it comes at great cost. And I think the way Luke closes his book is a miniature picture of the gospel. Pierced hands pronouncing blessing. And this is the last picture of Jesus that his followers have before he disappears from their sight. But his hands are raised in blessing still. This is still the attitude, the disposition of Jesus towards us, pronouncing the favor of God over our lives. You know, some Christians, sadly, they live as though Jesus' hand is raised, but it's raised to strike them. It's going to come down hard, and they're afraid that at any moment something terrible is going to happen to them because they have this guilty conscience that is nagging them. But Jesus is not like that. He's not raising his hands to strike us or to harm us or to hurt us in any way. He only raises them to bless. And I think perhaps more of us Christians live as though Jesus' arms are crossed and he's saying to us, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. I don't know if your parents ever said that to you when you were a kid and you misbehaved. We're not angry, we're just disappointed. <laughs> that that uh, really hurts, that really stings, doesn't it, to hear those words. And imagine if Jesus had ascended into heaven saying the same thing, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Because after all, when you think about it, these disciples have not behaved very well. They have really failed Jesus. In the end, despite all their big words, they all ran away and, in Peter's case, denied Jesus. These really were 11 disappointing people. But Jesus doesn't shout at them. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't put them on probation and say, look, fine. If you go to the ends of the earth and become martyrs, okay, I will, I'm willing to reconsider and forgive your sins. None of that. Even before these apostles do anything for Jesus, they find that it's all forgiven because everything's been atoned. And as he departs, his hands are lifted in kindness and blessing towards them. And we're disciples too, and the same thing is true of us today. You might feel like you've achieved a lot for God. More likely, you feel like you've achieved very little. And you might feel like, actually, there's a lot more, if I'm honest, in the deficit column than in the asset column as far as my relationship with God is concerned. But if you belong to Jesus, if you are honestly trying to follow him despite your failures, he is lifting his pierced hands over you today in blessing the blessing of Jesus dispels guilt, but it also removes fear. These 11 disciples, they go back to Jerusalem filled with joy, singing along the road back to the city. And as Jesus has warned them, there is a long, hard path in front of them. And as the book of Acts will describe, there are years filled with hunger and loneliness, with prison and beatings, with exile, and execution. But what helps each of them endure to the end is Christ standing over them, blessing them. Because the blessing of Jesus is not merely a a good wish like you or I might utter for our friends or our children. Jesus' words are words of power. And what he announces always comes to pass. And so when Christ speaks blessing over you, there is no curse on earth or below this earth that can undo it. Because the hands that were raised in blessing are the hands that hold the scepter of universal power. And the voice that speaks blessing is like the roar of many waters. If God is for us, what can be against us? There is no power, there is no force, angelic or demonic or human that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are under the favor of God. And yes, we are weak. And yes, we are sinful. And yes, we have failed in many ways. We have many fears. We have many anxieties and concerns. But with faith, Hear the word of Jesus' blessing over your own head today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that through Jesus we can call you Father. You are reconciled, and you love us. We bless you in return for how you have blessed us, that our sin has been atoned for, our guilt has been removed, and anything that might cause us fear ultimately is no longer an issue because you are with us and you are for us, Lord. Father, you know the issues in the hearts of every person here. You know the things that keep us back from childlike faith in your favor over us. And we pray that each of us deep in our own soul would feel your face shining upon us. We know the evil one is desperately trying to keep us from feeling that face shining upon us. He wants to keep us in the shadows, hesitant and afraid to come to you and enjoy your presence. Lord, pour your Holy Spirit upon your waiting people and fill us with the joy that comes from your glory appearing among us. We pray all this in the precious name of our High Priest who even now is at your right hand interceding for us and bringing blessing after blessing, favor after favor upon the people that he loves. In his name we pray. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf georgia Dot .org Thanks for listening